Fantastic to see you all here, gents. Um, welcome to St. Mike's. Welcome to Burning Man. And welcome to the final session of the term, which has been um, a thrilling term, I, I hope you'll agree. Uh, looking at this um, series, um, uh, warnings, what is our, what's the first part of our series? <laughs> promises, promises and warnings to keep us. Uh, and we're thrilled to have the Reverend Charlie Screen with us this morning. Charlie is Associate Rector at St. Helens Bishopsgate. It's his debut at Burning Man this morning, so I hope you'll all make him feel very welcome as we'd love him to come back at some point. Um, Charlie's going to be looking at uh, 2 Peter uh, 1 verses 1 to 11, uh, which I will uh, read now, and then Charlie's going to come up and pray and take us through that passage. It's on page 1,222 of the Red Bibles. 1222. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, pray that as a result of meeting this morning and looking at word, pray that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and that you would enable us to stand firm and to follow him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks very much for having me here. Um, I'm more used to working with students. I'm not sure they know that this time of the morning exists at all. Um, so please excuse me if uh, if I do and say things that are more appropriate to sort of 6 p.m. than 7 a.m. in the morning. In fact, one of those, I'd like us, first of all, if you would, to see if we're awake, just to discuss a couple of questions with your neighbor, which I think are going to appear up here, if we can, click on a few times, and a few more, keep going, and one more. Um, so just a very brief, halfway through the year, how has it been so far as a Christian? What has been hard? And what would you need to make it easier next year? Does that make sense? So I'm not going to give you very long at all, a minute or two, with your neighbor. Thank you. Okay, can I ask you to look back around this way? They're not bad questions to pray through on a summer holiday or to think through at a kind of halfway point in the year. Let me have a go at guessing uh, what your answers might have been like. Um, what, w what would have made the year easier? What, what would make 2017 easier? Would it be, I don't know, better behaved children? 
less pressure at work, more time, more sleep, uh, less pain, less sickness, a more understanding spouse, something like that, the kind of obstacles we would want cleared out of the way. Well, look down at verse 3 of chapter 1. Really, this morning, this morning we're going to try and look at the whole book, but really we're just looking at chapter 1, verse 3. And I think this is quite a shock verse. 1 verse 3, his, God's divine power, has given us everything we need. And notice the past tense there, and I think this is point one, thank you. Um, It may be that God hasn't given us what we listed, hasn't given us what we think we need, but he has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's quite a shock. Uh, You have. You arrived this morning with everything that you need for life and godliness. And the, the rest of the letter takes that pretty seriously. We're not talking about just turning up to church on Sunday in a more or less clean shirt. Uh, we're talking about be like God. That's what godliness is in 2 Peter. Live a life like God. Say no to what we desire and live differently to everybody else. And Peter says we have what we need. And here's the, the challenge, I think, is does, does that strike you as good news or bad news? To find a verse in the Bible saying you have everything you need to be godly. Is that good news or bad news? I think that's quite a challenging question because, um, if I'm honest, 2016 so far has included a great deal of failure and a great many things to be ashamed of. So as a Christian who messes up a reasonable amount of the time, do I want to hear, um, good news, God has given you everything you need to be godly? Or do I want to hear, um, don't worry about how it's gone so far this year. Um, You're doing about as well as could be expected. It's difficult, isn't it? Uh, No need to try harder. Makes a difference, doesn't it? If, um, I don't know, we're here from different churches this morning. If you were asked this morning to organize the the kind of church fete or something on Saturday and do the best you can with half an hour on Friday night and a ring around your mates and, you know, you put together something and no children died, you might think you'd done pretty well. You weren't given everything you needed. You weren't given a budget. You weren't given resources. You weren't given people. If you are the Olympic Committee in Brazil and you've had eight to ten years and millions of pounds and it's still looking a little bit shambolic, um, well, then it's a bit worse, isn't it? If you have been given everything you need and it doesn't work. See, 2 Peter 1 verse 3 is good news because I would love to be good. It's frustrating when I'm selfish and uncaring and proud and it's wonderful if I manage to be generous or self-controlled. But if he really has given me everything I need, then that knocks the legs out from all of my excuses. It's quite comfortable to assume there's nothing I can do, isn't it? Um, let me give you an illustration of that. I don't know if this works or not. We, um, I used to help with summer camps, and uh, we had one year on summer camp where wonderfully two girls came who had come from very, very hard childhoods. And uh, they loved camp, they loved joining in, uh, that was all great. It was the Bible talks they found very difficult. And they, um, they would talk and they would throw things and they would chat and disrupt the whole room. So we, we called them in, this was the bit I found very difficult, the kind of stern face, pretend that I was a headmaster and have the chat. And they said, we, we cannot sit still, we have ADHD, it's not possible for us. And uh, I was ready to give the kind of soft London answer and say, oh, that's okay, I understand, that's very difficult for you. Well, you know, you can sit and watch TV instead. Or that would, I think, have been my instinct. Um, But my colleague in leading the camp 
um, was made of sterner stuff. Here's what he said. I don't, I don't recommend this as you know, educational policy. Not sure this would have worked for everyone with ADHD. But he said, uh, he said, no, you can sit and listen, and you will tonight. I know it's hard, but you can. Um, and I think nobody in their lives had ever said that to these two girls. They're 15 and 14. I don't think anybody had ever said that to them. And it's a massive shift in thinking, isn't it? To have someone say, I know it's hard, but you can. You can do it. And that night, uh, they sat still and took notes, as they did every night for the rest of the week. Now, which one is it with our Christian lives? Is it you cannot expect me to do this, life and godliness, because it is too difficult? Or is it you can? I know it's hard, but you can. So that's point one of 2 Peter. We've been given all we need. And I think it is a very, very liberating verse. If we can get clear on where to get everything we need, because there's no shortage, is there, of Christian offers, uh, what will help us, the right experience, the right training, the right accountability, the right rules. Um, if we know where is everything we need, we don't need to chase down every new fad. See, every time I sin... I'm in the market for a new help uh, to make me godly. Well, here there is one secret. And let's see if we can work out what it is. So click on. uh, Something is all we need. Click again. Um, Just have a skim through the verses. Okay, so this is a patronizing early in the morning. uh, Fill in the gaps. Apologies for that. See, Have a skim through to Peter. What is it that we need? See if you can look up those verses, if you can see them. And uh, fill in the gaps. Again, I'll give you about a minute to do that. The translation may not be absolutely the same. Shall we um, come back in? I'm sure you know, if you can find in a New Testament letter the same ideas being hammered home at the very beginning and at the very end, that is a very good clue that the author has one really big thing to say, and it is about that one idea. So 1 verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. How? Through the knowledge of God's and of Jesus our Lord. What is the one thing we need? Verse 3, life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And then flick to the end, 3 verse 17. Here is our um, theme series for the summer on uh, warnings to keep us, promises and warnings. Do not be carried away. Be on your guard so you won't be carried away by error, wrong knowledge, but instead, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And uh, 1 verse 8, it's a way of talking about the whole Christian life. Uh, If you are ineffective and unproductive, I guess nobody quite came out with that as their review of 2016 so far. But if um, secretly in your heart you'd say 2016 as a Christian has been ineffective and unproductive, that is because we've been ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you click again, that's the thing we need. Everything we need through our knowledge of him. And that is quite a deeply unfashionable thing to have as the secret of the Christian life, I think. Um, He means knowledge in its broadest sense. He means relational knowledge, personal knowledge of Jesus. The fact that you wake up this morning, you stagger blearily from your house at 5 a.m. or wherever you've come from as someone who knows God. You are a personal friend of God's. Uh, You get on the tube, you squash him with a million other people, none of them know who you are, and God knows your name, remembers you, knows you personally. Uh, It's also about the things you know about God, 
how deeply you know him, how personally you know him. Uh, We tend to think knowledge is academic and dry and dusty, um, but it is not quite that. If maybe again do a stupid illustration, uh, my wife used to buy Heat magazine and Now magazine every week, and I used to read them every week. Um, If you don't know what they are, they're very high-quality celebrity gossip magazines. Um, And you read them because you want to know about the celebrities. You know their favorite color, you know how they do their hair, you know what they were wearing, you know in in ridiculous detail whether they've gained weight or lost weight. Um, But behind every single one of those people in the magazine, there are people who actually know them. There'll be a mother and a brother and a best friend. Um, And those people really know them. And I think that the kind of academic theologian is very good at knowing what God's favorite color is, that kind of data about God. Peter is talking about the full thing. You know him personally. You are his friend, his child, his son. And bad also, you are growing in knowledge about him. Knowledge is all we need because he is infinitely huge. He is enormous. There is no end to the things we could know about him. And knowledge is a real privilege. I guess around here you meet the royal family all the time, uh, popping in and out of the shops. Um, I've met the royal family once or twice, and whenever you do, you go in with this big kind of daydream, I do anyway, that, you know, I'll be so impressive that they'll ring me up and ask me around for tea the next day and kind of involve me in everything they're doing. Um, That is actually what God has done with us. Um, It's a Jim Packer illustration from Knowing God. Um, God is far greater even than our royal family. And God has decided he wants to know you personally and include you in everything that he does, use you, involve you in his projects. That is what it is to know God. Um, And that is, if you like, the goldmine for life and godliness. Isn't it a great goldmine? Imagine, I guess around here again, imagine you run out of money quite quickly if you want to keep up with the cars parked around here. But imagine if every time you ran out of money, uh, you just had a goldmine at the end of the garden. That's fine, I'll just get a spade, um, and there's 100 grand's worth of gold, and off we go. Um, in the Christian life, the gold mine that all of us have, that has been given to us, is the knowledge of our great gods. Which I think, again, with students, the things they wrestle with may not be the same as, but they get on, they get on badly with their flatmates, and they struggle with their work, and they struggle with lust, and they struggle with uh, all sorts of sins. And often we think the answer is cold shower and go for a run and have a better diary and have a better um, accountability partner. And we are slow to say the answer is get to know God better. There's the gold mine. Uh, if I'm struggling with anger with my flatmate, I don't need to write a list of all or my wife. I don't need to write a list of all the things that are really lovable about my wife, though that would be quite a long list. I need to write a list of all the things that are amazing about God and get to know him better. Okay, we've been given all we need. Knowledge is all we need. Let's just have the third one up there, um, which is a challenge from Peter to his readers. And this is where I think the 2016 review may be helpful, thing to work out on a summer holiday. Do you think as a Christian you are growing or not? Which to put that into Peter terms is actually a question, do you think as a Christian you are growing or falling away? Um, And in Peter's mind, there are only two possible categories. You can either be a growing Christian, or you can be a Christian that is falling away. So um, let's just have a look at some of the verses that push that way. Um, Verse 5, 
goes immediately from having been given everything to saying, make every effort. Uh, Verse 8 talks about um, increasing in these qualities, otherwise you're ineffective or unproductive. Two options, you can be increasing or you can be unfruitful. Uh, Verse 10 says, all the more eager, which is the same word underneath as make every effort. And again, two options, you're either making every effort to make your calling and election sure, or you're falling. If you make every effort, you'll never fall. Promises and warnings to keep us. You're either growing, in which case you won't fall, uh, or you're falling. Or look again to the end of the letter, 3 verse 17. You are either being carried away by the error of lawless men and therefore falling from your secure position. There's a terrifying verse, isn't it? We like to think if I'm in a secure position, that means I can't fall. Um, falling from your secure position or verse 18 you are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and I think that challenges me in lots and lots of ways one of them is because make every effort is so challenging yeah we're going to do this with a diagram this is how Peter thinks the Christian life goes Uh, you get some knowledge about God the promises in particular which gets you going in the Christian life and then all the way through the Christian life it is the knowledge of God's that enables you to grow. You've got small, wimpy man turning into big, stronger man on that diagram there as the knowledge of God grows him, and then you end up in the entrance to God's eternal kingdom, um, verse 11. Um, But if we click one more, um, the way Peter thinks that works is by making efforts. I can see a few of us have cycled here and are still in cycling gear and have some way to go. Um, It's hard weather, isn't it, for making every effort on your bike? That is what the Christian life is like, according to Peter straining, pressing on, making every effort. Uh, That's how it works. We'll save Peter just for a second. So if we look at the list in verse 5, 6, and 7, we could ask some quite challenging questions about my Christian life, I think. Am I making every effort to be as self-controlled as I possibly could be? I think most of us do it by comparison, Uh, Most of us do it by not getting caught. Um, Am I as self-controlled as the people around me, as the Christian friends I've made? Um, That's a really different question from, am I more self-controlled this year than I was last year? Am I striving to be the most self-controlled person that I possibly could be? Do the same with godliness, do the same with brotherly kindness, or with love. Am I striving to be the most loving person that I possibly could be? Am I making every effort in that area? Um, And if you're not growing, Peter says you are falling. It's very alarming, isn't it? This kind of, you have everything you need, and then this relentlessly kind of moral character type list. It's not, am I best at the skills of being a valued Christian? Am I best at leading my Bible study group? Am I best at answering the questions people ask me at work? Am I more loving? Am I making every effort to be godly? Uh, If not, then I'm not putting my knowledge into practice. And there's a a problem I've noticed at our church, which may not, I know again there's a range of churches here, it may not be a problem where you are, um, but let me outline it for you and see if it um, resonates with you. Um, I think we have two things in particular. We have a, a culture of, I was keen when I was a student. Um, I think we have a thing where, you know, when you're 20, you should be a keen Christian. 
and you can be sort of weirdly keen and you can go to all the meetings. I guess you're here at 7 a.m., so you've got to be quite keen. Um, but that, that is something that you then coast on or ride down the hill on for the rest of your life because life is busy. Um, I'm at work for, I don't know, 10, 15 hours a day sometimes. Uh, I have responsibilities. And so I'll coast on the things I knew and the things I was keen on when I was, uh, when I was 20. And uh, I gave these talks at one of our church plants where it was a group of people I'd known when they were students and we were 10 years on and uh, gave these talks, if you're not growing, you're falling. And one after another, they said, you know, that's interesting because I think um, I'm in the same place as I was when you knew me 10 years ago. I don't think I've really grown in my knowledge of God. I don't think I've really pressed on to be a more godly person because life has been busy. That's one thing I noticed. The other thing I noticed is that we're very used, uh, at our church anyway, to making all these things somebody else's problem. I think, again, certainly my generation, we are the the youth group generation, uh, by which I mean uh, church has always been sort of made happy for us. Uh, we're the group that always went out of church to, to do fun games in Sunday school. We're a group who always had the trendy youth worker. We're the group that always had the nice student worker. We're the group who's always had the accountability partner. And there's the danger that we are the group who has always had somebody to be my Christian life for me. Uh, and I wonder long term where that leaves us. Um, are you taking responsibility? Have I taken responsibility for my growth as a Christian? Um, or is it my church leader's fault? Is it the boring sermons that we get? Is that the problem? Is it that my Bible study leader doesn't meet up with me? Is it that my accountability partner has moved to Hong Kong with their job and isn't around anymore? Um, or am I personally making every effort so that next month I'll be a Christian who has grown compared to where I am now? Uh, that I'll be a Christian who is making every effort? That's the things I find challenging in this letter. Okay, we've got, I think, about 10 minutes left, so we're going to try and do the whole book now. We've done about 10 verses. We're now going to try and do the whole book. So um, let's see how we go. This is how the rest of the letter fits in. So click one more, um, and this is where Peter fits in. So do you see from verse 12, Peter starts talking about himself. And the situation is that he is dying. He's in prison. He's uh, about to be executed. And if you were... Um, about to be, you're on death row, you've got a few days to go, and your only weapon was a short letter, um, what would you do? What would you do for the Christians you know about, care about? What he does, verse 12, is he wants to remind them of the things they already know and are already firmly established in. Isn't that interesting? Um, the thing, if you've got one bullet in your gun, you're about to be killed, you've got one bullet to fire... I'm going to write a letter about some things you know already. But that makes sense, doesn't it, given what we're saying about where Christian growth comes from. Uh, If it comes from the knowledge of God, the one thing we need from a dying apostle is secure knowledge about the knowledge of God. We need to know for certain that what we've got loaded in our brains and in our hearts is the right stuff. And you can see verse 15 that he has the sweatbands on as well because he is making every effort. This is the one thing he cares about. If he came here this morning, the one thing he'd care about would be, are you still remembering the knowledge that I taught you, the knowledge we started with? And uh, verses 12 to 21, 
uh, roughly speaking, tell us that the Bible is reliable. It goes through Old Testament, New Testament, tells you it's not made up, it's not fairy stories, it's not human beings' opinion only, it is from God. Why does that fit into the letter? Because the Bible is where you load the knowledge. Knowledge is all you need. Where do you get it from? You get it from Peter and the other apostles, dying apostle. Um, then we get chapter 2, click again, um, which is the obvious flip side of that. Chapter 2 is one of those scary chapters. I don't know if you've ever stumbled across it. Maybe you read the Bible on the tube on your way up to work, and uh, you're looking for something encouraging and cheerful, and you stumble across chapter 2, and it is a very, very challenging chapter. Um, but just let me read you 2 verse 1, and uh, do you see how this makes obvious sense in the letter? In the Old Testament, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. It ought to be a very, very uncontroversial idea, this, that if knowledge is what we need, and if knowledge comes from God, if there is such a thing as capital T truth, then it ought to be obvious that there is such a thing as capital F, falsehood, dangerous falsehood, wrong ideas. And he goes to the Old Testament, says there were false prophets in the Old Testament. If there were then, no surprise, he says that there will be false teachers today. And here I think is how it works, so let's click on again. If the false teacher, um, and keep clicking, um, if the false teacher teaches you things that are not the knowledge of God's, and they infect uh, what is in your brain, in your knowledge of God, keep clicking again, then instead of growing, you are going to be shrinking as a Christian. If knowledge is all you need, then false teaching is obviously dangerous, and it means you'll see what we've done on the end there is knock out the security about where you're going. Um, What is interesting is, I think that's sort of obvious, that just drops out of the letter. It comes straight out of 1 verse 3, It's all over Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, Peter's teaching. And what is interesting is how controversial that is today. Um, I've just been away, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before, at a big Church of England um, shindig, and uh, it's just interesting how controversial that very simple idea is. Do you think there might be such a thing as a false teacher? Not just someone whose ideas are a bit odd and who we disagree with, someone who's, you know, creatively different, uh, but someone who is so wrong that even if they are well-intentioned and sincere, is dangerous to your Christian life, dangerous to your children's Christian life, dangerous to the people you care about's Christian life. That is an almost um, shockingly unacceptable idea in 21st century London, and yet it is all over the Bible and it drops obviously out of what we're saying in 1 verse 3. Um, notice that we've not even gone into what might constitute a false teacher, just do you believe they exist at all? It's one of the things in the Church of England you're not really allowed to believe anymore, that there might be the kind of false teacher that you have to step away from. Okay, that is uh, the obvious opposite. And then chapter 3, let's just have the more cheerful diagram back up. There we go. Um, chapter 3 is in some ways simply a worked example It's a worked example of one piece of knowledge about God kind of driven home into our heads uh, to see what difference it makes to our Christian life. And it is the one piece of knowledge about God that actually runs all the way through the letter. Again, remember, Peter is in prison. He has one bullet. He has uh, one very short three-chapter letter to write to the whole Christian world once he's gone. 
which piece of Christian teaching is it that he thinks we've got to know and get right? Well, I think two-thirds of the letter, maybe even more than that, is all about the second coming of Jesus. And that is what chapter 3 is all about. Uh, That's what chapter 2, they deny that there will ever be um, a calling to account. They say you can live however you want now because God is never going to come and judge. Um, And in chapter 3, verse 3, you can see the scoffing. uh, Where is this second coming of Jesus? It's never going to happen. So Peter thinks the crucial thing his readers need to remember is that Jesus is coming back. And again, it's interesting. Maybe I just move in the wrong circles and uh, you move in much better circles than me. But the idea that there might be false teachers and the idea that Jesus might be coming back to judge the world, those are the two things that you're not really allowed to talk about as Christians, aren't they? The two things it's not very polite to mention, the two things that we're supposed to have moved beyond. And yet truly apostolic Christianity, truly Peter's sort of Christianity, says you've really got to remember that Jesus is coming back. And that is the sort of knowledge you need loaded firmly in your head if you're going to make progress in life and godliness. And I don't know if you know chapter 3, it's really encouraging. He deals with all our reasons why we might think Jesus is not coming back, why we might think it's been such a long time. Uh, He points out that 2,000 years is really a very short time uh, and that in God's timing, it's just around the corner. And he points out that it is because of patience, because he's waiting for people to repent. Interesting, just look at verse 9. Verse 9 is a very famous, 3 verse 9, very famous evangelism verse. Um, God is being very kind, not coming back, because that means that there is time for our friends to repent. Just unsettling that actually it doesn't say our friends in verse 9. Do you ever get that? We're a verse you've known since childhood, and you've always known what it means. You look at it again, and you think, oh, it doesn't actually say that. Uh, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish. Um, I think with 3.17 and 18 open, um, the return of Jesus is kindness for those we'd love to become Christians for the first time. He's also waiting for falling away Christians to repent, come to their senses. Uh, He's waiting for those who are not growing, slipping gradually into less and less godly ways of living to repent and come to their senses. And uh, the return of Jesus is quite a fun thing we could do. Again, I'm not going to make you raise your hand this early in the morning, but we could go around, you know, did, was anybody not a Christian 20 years ago? Yeah, okay, people are happy to raise their hands. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back 20 years ago? Uh, anyone become a Christian in the last 10 years? In the last 10 years, yeah. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back in 2006? Be lots of reasons why he should have done. Think of all the suffering there's been since then. Think of all the wars. Aren't you glad he didn't come back in 2006? Or we could do the other way. Um, And maybe, again, you may not want to put your hand up to this, but is there anyone who went through a really difficult patch as a Christian in the last four or five years? Anybody who thinks really just clinging on by your fingertips or even heading in the wrong direction? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back five years ago? And do you hear Peter's kind of promises and warnings to keep us? Uh, Jesus is coming back. Are you growing? Or are you falling? And you'll know, I think, the challenge is that the judgment day, the destruction of the world, the future world that is coming, means verse 14, verse uh, 11, that how we live now is obvious. Once you load the piece of knowledge, Jesus is coming back, all ungodliness is going to be destroyed, 
and there will be a brilliant new world in which righteousness lives. Um, it's then clear how we should live. Um, I sometimes do this with students around the, um, the game Celebrity Hole in the Wall. I don't know if you know, I assume again you watch far more highbrow. Um, but the, the game is you have a, a celebrity in a stupid suit and you have a polyester or something wall with a shape in it coming towards them. If they don't make the shape, they get knocked in the swimming pool. Um, only things that look like this are going through the hole. Um, Peter's kind of saying the return of Jesus is like that. Only godliness and righteousness and people who believe in Jesus. That's the only things that are going through the hole uh, into the next world when Jesus comes back. It makes lots of life's decisions really very simple, doesn't it? When you think of it that way. Um, so what should we do? Um, we should you know, make the shape. Um, we should make every effort to live lives of godliness and love and telling other people the gospel if we know that's what's coming. So let me uh, finish up with verse 17 and verse 18 of chapter 3. Um, personal responsibility. You have everything you need. No excuses, but also you are, you are equipped. So which one is it? Since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men, chapter 2, and fall from your secure position. But instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What a good gold mine. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Pat, shall I hand back over to you? Or do we, what do we do now? Do we discuss and then pray? What would you like us to do? Yeah, so why not? Um, you might want to go back to those three questions we began with, see if you're feeling different about them now, or you might want to discuss and then pray through anything that we said this morning. Well, gents, um, it's gone 8 o'clock. Just before you... Guys, just before uh, you head out the door, just wanted to say, just a quick word, guys, to just say thank you so much for um, being part of Burning Man. I just felt moved, just praying just then, just um, to say thank you to you. Um, I'm hugely encouraged by meeting uh, on these occasions with you and having your support, your encouragement, as I'm sure we all are. We're, we're in this together. And uh, Charlie, thank you. What a yeah, tour de force. Um, into Peter this morning. So helpful, so enriching. I hope you found it the same. Um, this is our last session before we break for summer. Uh, we'll be back in September uh, with a new series. But I would love your, your thoughts. Hopefully you've all got my email address. You get the email reminders. If you've got thoughts about Burning Man, things you'd love us to focus on, teach on, uh, the structure, format of, of the gatherings, what we do, how we use the time, please send them in. Um, not great at setting up these survey monkey type things. So any ideas, any thoughts, fire them in um, in the next week or two uh, and we can shape next term accordingly. But um, go well. Um, uh, make that polystyrene shape fit through the gap uh, as we head towards glory. Amen? Amen? God bless, guys. See you soon.